Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast, hosted by Renita Ray Davis, licensed clinical social worker, board-approved social work clinical supervisor, and facilitator of the Goddesses of Social Work supervision community. Join us as we travel through the social work journeys told by the Goddesses of Social Work community members, past and present, as they make their way toward clinical licensure. Welcome to the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. In today's episode, Chelsea Cloud, LMSW, has joined us today. Chelsea Cloud is an LMSW currently under supervision for her LICSW. She received her undergraduate degree from Troy University in Human Services. After graduation, Chelsea entered the workforce as a patient care tech within a community mental health agency where she was exposed to the role of a social worker. She went back to obtain her master's in social work from Troy University and continued a career in mental health care, working in a variety of settings, including community mental health, substance abuse, emergency acute psychiatry, and is currently working as the mental health coordinator for a school system in Birmingham. She is passionate about mental health care in all populations, but especially supporting children, adolescents, and their families. Welcome, Chelsea. I am super excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Chelsea, reading your bio, it feels like you are shining a light on mental health and the variety of, of work social workers can do in just that one area of this field. I often talk to social workers about tailoring their CEUs into an area that they would like to become an expert in or create a niche in. Do you feel like your work in the mental health arena of social work has been intentional? And do you see yourself creating a niche? Um, I, I mean, I would say first, yes, it was intentional. Um, I started in nursing school <laughs> in undergrad. That didn't work out. Um, but I got to my psych classes and that was really kind of the first time I had been around, introduced to mental health care. I feel like a lot of times when you come in contact with anybody that's in the mental health field, a lot of times it's, you know, they have either their own learned experiences or um, have been affected by it with their family. And that really wasn't the case for me. Um, mine was really just through opportunity of a different degree path that I thought I wanted. Um, but I, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with advocacy. I fell in love with um, serving vulnerable populations and things like that. And I felt like it wasn't something that a lot of people really felt a desire to go into. So I do feel like for me, it, there was a piece of it that was intentional. Um, I wasn't introduced really to the social work aspect of it until much later, but I think as far as like creating a niche, I don't think that, I think as I've gotten older and I've progressed in the field, I've become in contact with a lot more social workers that, specialize in psychiatry or specialize in mental health um but when I first started out it felt like okay there's not a whole lot of social workers in this area um how do I propel myself into this area with not having a whole lot of you know mentors so to say or people that I could follow in the footsteps of a lot of people that I did come under were either LPCs or MFTs or things like that or um you know, nurses. Um, so it, it was interesting to kind of really start paving the way into that. Um, 
kind of un, what it felt like was uncharted territory just because it wasn't something that seemed to be highly publicized. People don't talk about, I mean, even now in 2023, there's still stigma attached to mental health, but even 10 or 12 years ago, it was really, um, really not talked about at all. So really I didn't even know it was an option until I was in nursing school and did psychiatry. And it was like, wow, this is a whole untapped resource basically. Um, so yeah, so kind of both, it was intentional. Um, but I do feel like, I've had to really kind of look for mentors and look for paths that maybe people have taken before. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and we were talking about how hard it is to find CEUs that you were talking about earlier that are specifically mental health because you feel like, especially in the social work realm, it's all trauma informed care, which is great. We want to talk about trauma, but you know, that's been around for a while. Um, or we typically want to talk about like ADHD or anxiety or depression, um, which again is great. We want to talk about those things, but when you've been in the field for so long, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, I need a little more, which is why I'm really interested in now that we've got to do these DSM um, trainings with our license. Uh, I'm really interested because I feel like that is something that we don't really have a lot of access to when it comes to training once you get out of your graduate program. Um, Cause in my role now, I'm seeing a big increase in like, or DMDD diagnoses, um, more mood disorders, more OCD, things like that. And that's something that I feel like is really hard to find training in. Um, so yes, it was intentional. <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> oh, is a great answer too. And I'm so, so glad that you brought up here in Alabama. You, and, and I'm wondering too, though, Chelsea, like, do you think it wasn't talked about specifically in Alabama within the field of social work. And we're gonna to get to your social work journey in just a minute. So as much as you can answer this question without getting into your journey, okay. but do you think that it, you know, mental health and social work wasn't discussed in Alabama because LICSWs are just now getting, um, the law recently passed, I think September was finalized that LICSWs in Alabama can diagnose, whereas in other states, that's been going on forever, right? Um, but here in Alabama, we're just now getting um, those privileges. I, I often talk to the social workers on their clinical journey that the doors have just bust wide open for clinical social workers here in, in, in Alabama. What do you think, having already prepaved your way with the LMSW, is now going to happen with clinical social workers having that opportunity or that privilege to diagnose here in Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really going, selfishly, I hope it's going to bring a lot more people into the social work field because I think for a long time, it's, you know, social work's kind of gotten the, the stigma, the stereotype that you typically only work for um, child welfare or, you know, adult protective services or things like that. And again, me as an undergrad was naive, didn't know anything about social work um, until, you know, you start doing the classes and things like that. But so selfishly, I think I, I hope that more people are going to come into the field of social work and realize that it is, it's so versatile. And it's so, if you get bored working in one area, you can shift and work in another area. Um, 
which I mean, kind of, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in a little bit, which kind of does segue in my journey because I've been all over the place in different settings and things like that, um, even though I've kind of kept mental health as the concentration. Um, but I think it also kind of brings another level of credibility to social workers that we've, we have always known that we've had. Um, I think it just kind of elevates our platform a little bit more to scream it a little louder for people to hear it. Um, Cause even now in the job that I have now, I tell people all the time, you don't have, if you want to go see a psychologist, you're more than welcome to, but here's somebody that can see you as your whole person and see you in your environment and how you operate within your environment and it's a little cheaper and you can get sometimes better results. Um, so I, I do feel like it's giving us a little bit more credit in the outside world where we as social workers have always known that we had the credibility there and we had the, um, desire to help people better their lives. Um, so I, I'm very excited about the times that are changing because I think it's just going to, like you mentioned, I think it's just going to open up a wide variety of opportunities and funding and, access and all that kind of stuff to people because um, Alabama has been even though we have these pockets in more urban areas it's still considered a very rural state and our resources are drying up left and right um, so I, I think it's a perfect time obviously I wish it happened 20 years ago but I think it's a perfect time for us to be able to really um, kind of expand our platform and, and show people what we truly have to offer rather than just kind of the negative stereotypes that we've gotten over the years. I think this is the perfect time to be a clinical social worker in the state of Alabama. I I've been a social worker for over 20 years. I've been a clinical social worker licensed in Alabama for over a decade now. And I can't think of a time more open to social work and the possibilities of just the work that is going to come our way um, than, than right now. So I'm really excited just for the possibilities. So. Awesome, awesome answer. I know you were going to segue into your social work journey, so let's go ahead and do that <laughs> now, right? Talk to me about what is your social work journey. Start, you know, you can start from way from the beginning to where yeah. you are now. Um. Well, my whole family is in education, so it's the irony is not lost on me now that I work for a school system when I was very adamant from the beginning that I was not going into education. Um. But I, coming out of high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but, you know, you have to declare a major and all that kind of stuff. And so it kind of seemed that everybody either went into education or nursing. And I knew business and all that, that was not for me at all. Um, and so I chose nursing, started there, um, got two semesters into nursing school, um, failed out of nursing school, but again, got through my psychiatry classes and clinicals and all that kind of stuff. I had the opportunity to do, um, clinicals and outpatient mental health, um, at Baptist hospital in Montgomery, um, and a couple other facilities. And I just fell in love with the clientele, fell in love with the patients, just the relationships that you had that seemed to be very different from the relationships that doctors and nurses had with kind of your typical medical patient. 
Um, it just seemed to be more authentic. It seemed to be more, um, it, it seemed to be more rewarding at a, the long-term goal. Um, so I failed nursing school, got desperate because then it was like, okay, I'm a junior in college. I am done. I just want to get out. What can I do? So I flipped through the course catalog and I found human services. Um, and I was, well, I found human services and I found social work. One thing I do regret is I wish I had talked a little bit more about social work and things like that. Um, but looking at the credits that I had for nursing school, human services got me out of school faster. So I did that. Um, and then again, you, you know, graduated with human services and a minor in psychology. It's like, what am I going to do with this? Um, so I moved home and I took a job as a patient care tech for community mental health. It was a 12 bed inpatient adult psychiatry unit. That was kind of a, um, it's like a unit that initially was established for our group home residents to try to keep them from having to use inpatient beds at a hospital. So they were in acute crisis or sometimes they would just come in for just like med adjustment that they felt like they needed to be under 24 hour care for. Um, so started there, worked as a tech. So, you know, baths, cooking dinner, snacks, doing games, activities, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we had a therapist there. We didn't have a traditional licensed social worker, but we did have a therapist. Um, and then one day she, our caseloads were just constant coming in. Um, and I just offered help one day and was like, what can I do to help? And she said, well, I, we've got two patients that don't have a home to be um, discharged to. I need you to find somewhere for them to go. Great. Fine. Started pulling resources, started trying to figure out where we could place them, realized one of them didn't have insurance, started kind of working through the whole. So I just kind of naturally segued myself into using some of those skills um, to kind of help with that. And so then the director kind of caught wind that I was good at that and was a little abrasive at times with placements and forcing their hand to get patients admitted um, or get them housed. And so over time, they just kind of started adding more what I would consider to be social work type job responsibilities. And so um, that's kind of where I got introduced to what the role of it was. Um, from there, then I worked, I moved over to our child and family services clinic and I worked in substance abuse prevention, um, started off as a prevention specialist. So we had a contract and we would go in the schools and do um, substance abuse, suicide prevention lessons and things like that, sixth to 12th grade, um, did some community-based um, information, re you know, disseminating all the kind of information and PSAs and all that fun stuff. And then we got a contract for juvenile court to start doing their di early diversion program for substance abuse cases. So started doing that. Um, and then in the midst of that, I was promoted to the program manager of that department. And that's where I really decided like, okay, I've been in mental health for, at this point, I think I've been there five years. And I was like, okay, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do because I just have a bachelor. Well, not that I just had a bachelor's, but I have a bachelor's level. If I really want to capitalize on this career, I've got to go back and get a master's. So what do I go back and get? 
And so the more I thought about, the more I really talked to people. Again, I was working for an agency where it was mainly LPCs and MFTs. Um, And finally, I went to a resource fair and had talked to um, their social work department at Auburn. And they were like, what you're doing is sounding like social work. You really need to come back and get your master's. Um, So finally decided to go back and get my master's. Um, I went to Troy, where I had a phenomenal mentor. And Renita Davis. And um, so worked while I got my master's, graduated, stayed at mental health for a few more months. And then from there, I transitioned to a local hospital where I did um, psychiatric assessments in the emergency room. And then occasionally, like I would get called to ICU or mother baby or things like that, um, would do assessments and would collaborate with doctors, nurses, trying to figure out what their treatment plan needs to be, if they needed to be admitted to psychiatry, if they could be discharged home with resources, that kind of thing. Um, and then from there, I got married and found out I was expecting my first child and we moved and then COVID hit. And so I had a really hard time finding a job in the middle of COVID. So I stayed at the hospital for a little while. We commuted because we moved here to Birmingham. and just prayed and prayed and prayed and finally a job opened up for a school system up here for their very first social worker mental health coordinator position so i took that and i've been here ever since and it's been fantastic i love that you really detailed out your journey right but one of the things that last part is what I want to zone in on. You said it was you're currently the first of your kind in the school system. One, the first thought I had was I remember when I was closer to Georgia and the the plethora of school social workers that Georgia had and had, you know, they have a very strong foundation in school social work. Um, and I know that's not what you do, but it was just not as heard of to have a social worker in the state of Alabama as it was in Georgia. And so the first thought is, I think we got a, we got some momentum going in Alabama with placing social workers in different capacities. And you can share what your capacity is within the school system um, than we ever had uh, in, in a long time, if ever. But then the other thing, just knowing you personally, and, and you know, you mentioned you went to Troy, and, and that's where I met you, I don't know, what, five years ago now? Um, you were also the first who did the particular internship uh, yeah. that you had. Yeah, you remember yeah. that? Yeah, I yeah. do. I do. Yeah, do, you, yeah. do you want to speak to that internship? Sure. Um, I guess I've kind of always had a little piece of me that's going to go against the grain of what everybody else does. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe I need to talk with a therapist about that um but yeah so when we got to picking our I think it was my first internship um because I did the two-year program um you know everybody was talking about oh we're gonna go to mental health or oh we're gonna go to a an outpatient therapist therapy clinic or we're gonna go to DHR or DFACS or you know whatever and I just thought there's got to be something different but there's just got to be something different out there And again, the Lord just kind of works in his weird and mysterious ways. And I went to, because of the job I had at community mental health, I did a lot of public relation type stuff. So I did a lot of meet and greets and, you know, chamber of commerce events, all that kind of stuff. And I 
just one day was at one of those events and sat down to a woman. It was a great writing workshop because that was one of the things I did with my job working in prevention services was our whole department was grant funded. And so I sat down next to her and we started talking and she said, well, I've started this nonprofit um, that we focus on women that give birth while they are incarcerated. And I said, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Like, tell me more. What do y'all do? She said, well, we're, we're relatively new. We're trying to get funding, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, do you happen to take interns? <laughs> she said, well, um, I've had a few, but I've never had a master's level. And I said, would you be willing? And I said, you know, this is my experience. I, you know, I'm happy to help you write grants. I'm happy to help you do groups because they, at the time they were doing, um, weekly nutrition groups and then kind of just like life skills types type of groups, really trying to help them connect to the community um, while they were incarcerated. And she just took a leap of faith and she agreed for me to be their first master level social work intern. Um, And so it was, it was awesome. Um, Just the relationships that I was able to make, not only with, um, with them, but another key piece that they did is they were all doulas. So they were able to be present at birth when these ladies gave birth, because obviously the babies don't go back with them to Tutwiler. Um, And so anyway, just being able to help them kind of expand their network of resources so that when these ladies do get out of prison, they're able to set them up for success. Um, And so in trying to keep those babies out of um, DHR. So it was just very rewarding. But again, it was just kind of one of those things like there's got to be something different out here. I just I want to um, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. I want to be able to push the social work profession into other areas that it's there. It's not currently in. Um, and, you know, kind of with my job now, even though there's other school systems in the state that have had social workers, you know, for a little bit of time, the district that I work at, I'm the first one. Um, and it's, it's been really cool to see that. And the, so I'm, I'm employed as a mental health coordinator, but of course all my training and education is in social work. Um, but what's been really cool is, so I've been in this position almost four years and this position came about, there's actually one of me now in every school system in the state of Alabama. And it came through funding for the legislator um, to see the need for social workers and mental health support in schools. Um, and so while, again, there's, you know, maybe been five to eight school systems that have had social workers for an extended period of time, this now allows funding opportunities for every school system in the state um, to have a position like mine. And so one of the credentials is you have to be a licensed social worker um, or we have a couple that are, um, school administrators or like school counselors. And then we have a few that are school nurses. But for the most part of us, well, I would say 98% of us are licensed social workers. Um, and most of us are licensed at the master's level. Um, and then we have several that are already at their um, clinical license. So it's been really, really cool to see it grow because I was in the first cohort um, when this funding got approved. And now, like I said, we're in our fourth year and we, I'm pretty sure every school district now has one um, with the goal for us to be able to hire more. So it's been really cool to be a part of that. That is so exciting, Chelsea. Yeah. That is so exciting. And as the mental health coordinator, 
what is your role within the school system? Especially since, again, what my being in being an Alabama social worker for 24 years, you know, um, we just weren't in the schools like that. So I, I want to learn more about what are we doing in the school systems? What are social workers doing in the Alabama school systems? So what I do, um, which I think every school system operates a little differently, um, which is something I had to learn. Um, but what I do typically is um, kind of my main priority is crisis prevention or crisis reduction. So um, kind of the way that we operate is like if our school counselors feel like they have maxed out their resources or maxed out what they feel like they can manage in the school building, they'll call me to come help. Um, that may look like um, suicide screeners, um, having conversations with parents of, you know, they really need to be evaluated by somebody due to whatever thoughts that they may be having or expressing. Um, so that's a little piece of it. Um, then I do safety planning and transition services. So students that are coming back to school from um, maybe a psychiatric stay or maybe even residential, or if we have some students that, um, you know, may have to go to rehab or some other type of treatment, like for an eating disorder, things like that, help to kind of smooth that transition back to school. But also on the other side, if we have somebody that's leaving school to go to a facility, helping them to make sure that we're streamlining their schoolwork. Um, if they receive special education services through us, making sure that those services are still being provided, regardless of the facility that they go to, um, as long as parents, you know, consent, all that stuff. Um, so that's a piece of it. And then um, really a lot of it is just collaboration with teachers, with administrators, with counselors. Um, I'm very fortunate that we have a, a school system that employs a behavior analyst. So she and I work very, very closely together because um, especially here in the last year, we've started to see a lot of overlapping between um, students expressing behavior and then pretty significant mental health needs. So she and I work pretty closely together. Um, but again, just kind of collaborating with teachers for how to manage um, or help students succeed in the classroom that maybe are struggling with a mental health uh, disorder or a mental health crisis or any stress or things like that. Um, so that the goal is for us to keep them in school as long as we can. Um, so that's kind of, you know, every day looks different, uh, which is one thing I, I do like about it because it's not monotonous and I never know what I'm going to get into. Um, but this is the first job I've really had where I've been able to develop long-term relationships. Every job I've ever had has been very short, acute. I see you for an hour, maybe two hours, and then I pass you on to the next person. Um, this is the first time I've been able to see, especially kids, grow over time. Um, like I had one student that he was one of my very first that I got brought in on when I started. Um, had to do a safety plan, was having some pretty intensive suicidal thoughts, was able to get him in some services and <laughs> everybody laughed at me. And it's probably also because I'm hormonal right now, but I started crying as I meeting last week because um, we faded out a safety plan and he's doing fantastic. And I've been able to see him grow over four years. And it's just, it's rare that we get to see all the pieces fall into place and do the jobs that they're supposed to and see kids thrive. Um, I've kind of always coined the phrase, I don't want to see you survive. I want to see you thrive. So how can we get there? Um, and so, you know, of course, for the first time ever, 
in my entire life. I'm like snot nosed, crying, like, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. Like I'm normally not, you know, I normally hold it all together. And a lot of times get told that I'm very cold hearted, <laughs> but um, just being able to see the, that relationships matter, see that the investment matters, see that the time matters. Um, Cause I think, especially for people that work in mental health, it's hard to see those successes. It's very, very hard. Um, so that's been one thing that's been really cool about this job is being able to see the time and effort that not only you put in, but your students and your families put in too. Um, which again, I don't feel like I've ever got to experience that before. So it's been really, really unique. I love that so much. <laughs> and there's just two things. One, I do think that as social workers, we are kind of trained that these are short-term relationships. And in the practice that I, you know, have the honor of, of running now, I do have clients that have been with me for a while. And the significance of being able to see them, you know, from year to year is so much rewarding than the six, eight weeks, or even like you said, one day, one or two hour connections that we get to make. And so I love that. Um, I love that the Alabama students are getting to have that experience with social workers. I think that changes the narrative as well. And then the second thing, you know, I think too, we're taught not to cry in front of our social, or in front of our clients. And I just want to say, let's throw that out the door because I think, you know, they need to be able to see that we're whole humans as well and have emotions and are invested in their success, just as invested as we want them to be in their success as well. Right. So right. I'm glad even if it's <laughs> for a very important reason, you know, right. that you cried. I'm glad that that particular client got the opportunity to see that, a, a beautiful emotion. Chelsea, I'm going to move on a little bit. Who, who were your favorite um, social work instructors and or your most impactful social work mentors and what did they teach you? Or um, I feel like, okay, again, I'm going to go against the grain here. But I'm going to answer this in three parts because I feel like my journeys had three kind of different chapters, if you will. So first one would be obviously you, because if I, I really, and I mean this genuinely, I think if I had gone to any other program and if I'd had any other instructor, I don't think that I would have been challenged in the way that I needed to be challenged that I didn't realize at the time. Um, because I can remember specifically activities that you had us do as a group that were so powerful and so moving that, but at the time you didn't realize how impactful they were because of just the, like just your, charisma of being able to say, okay, this is what we're doing. This I'm not going to tell you what I'm teaching you. We're just going to do the activity and we're going to watch it unfold. But then being able to look around the room and even look internally and see like, oh, this is challenging something in me that I didn't know I need to work on. Um, which I think if I, again, if I'd gone to any other program, I don't think I would have had that. I don't think that I would have been able to walk away from a two-year program and be as confident in my ability and my knowledge and feel like I could go in and make lasting change somewhere. Um, and I, you, I mean, you single-handedly had a role in that. Um, I think once I graduated 
and entered the workforce, which I think one of your previous episodes mentioned this person too. Um, but there was a professor at Auburn, her name was Nana, and she really embodied the social work profession because she took me, I had a group of her undergrad students as um, a supervisor and she took me under her wing. She saw that I was flailing as a new social worker and working for an agency that had no social workers. And I didn't know, I mean, I had the confidence and I had the knowledge, but I really struggled with that when to push, when to bounce back or when to hold back a little bit. And she just took me under her wing. No questions asked, no expectations from me, just, hey, I've been where you are. This is my advice. Just she really for that first year of kind of entering the workforce after grad school really just kind of took me under her wing and she didn't have to because I wasn't a student in her program. I was not employed by that university. Um, and then there was so Nana and then there was another one, um, Angie Burke, who was I don't know if she's still there or not. Um, but both of them, they I mean, I just remember Angie coming into my office like she'd come do her mid midterm evals for her students or whatever. And then she comes in my office. She said, what do you need? What can I do for you? I'm here to listen. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Like, um, so those two ladies, I would say kind of my middle chapter. And then taking this job in the school was a total, like, I, I felt like I needed to go back to school to know how to work in the school. And I, um, Coincidentally, one of our parents is a social worker for another school system. And we got to talking and she was like, I am in a peer supervision group and I think you would be great for it. And so they invited me in and it's about 10 or 12 of us and we're all from different school systems, but we all, for the most part, we're all social workers and we all work in the schools. So being able to lean on them and go in and say, because we meet once a month for two hours and being able to say, okay, I've got this situation. I don't know if I've got blinders on. I don't know if there's something I'm overlooking, but just being able to bounce ideas off of that or when you come in and you feel defeated or you feel like you're not making much headway or like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Just being able to have that support from them has helped me because I, I tell them all the time, like I would have quit many years ago if I didn't have their support and their knowledge and their wisdom. Um, again, of teaching me, when to push that boundary, when to hold that boundary, um, when to realize that it's not just about you, that there's a bigger picture here when it comes to education. Um, so I would say, I mean, right now, those are kind of, kind of those, there's my support system um, because they have the knowledge and the wisdom because they've been doing it. Um, and that's probably kept me out of trouble a lot because they helped me keep my mouth in check. <laughs> Chelsea, that was such a great answer. And thank you, one, for mentioning. And I love, I have loved being able to reconnect with some of my former students. Obviously, you know, it's been so much fun. And to hear that you guys got something out of it has been such an honor. It really was an honor to be able to be in that position with you on that part of your journey. But I love that you mentioned Nana, obviously. <laughs> but then really what I loved it's something that I just learned, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for over two decades, but I literally just have learned this over the last three years, the importance of social work community 
And the fact that you are in a social work community and that has been such a space of support for you, that's why I'm doing this podcast, because one of the things that I've realized is that um, those folks who are not in community, we're we're trying to pull you into community one interview at a time to say there's communities out here and we're supporting each other. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I think that's what's so great about this, because I remember starting out again, you know, social work wasn't as I mean, I'm not that old, but social work still wasn't really that talked about when I first entered the workforce. And, um, you know, obviously podcasts weren't a thing then, but it was almost like, OK, well, where do you go for this connection? Like there's no social media groups. There's no support groups in the community that you can find. Like, where do you look for that? And so being able to have something like this that does make you feel like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, I think it's, it's just amazing because it's, it's something that's not readily available for everybody, but I highly recommend it because you don't, I mean, you, we're not made to do things by ourselves. I mean, in any capacity of our life, um, but especially social work because it can be so lonely. Um, and it can be, I mean, yes, isolating, but it, it can be defeating at times too, especially if you don't get to experience the moments of joy that it can bring. We're wishing lots of moments of joy on those social workers out there. Yeah. We really are. Chelsea, moving on to our next question. And such great answers, by the way. I'm so enjoying this. Um one thing, if there was one thing you can take on your social work journey, what would that one thing be? I feel like I'm going to give a very textbook answer, but I feel like it's my code of ethics because I live by, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I can remember sitting in grad school, like, okay, you got a code of ethics, like everybody's got ethics you got to follow. I mean, this is pretty common sense, but can I tell you how many times I pull them out and I'm like, where does this fall? Like what, especially again, especially being in a school because you have not only your social work code of ethics, but then you have the code of ethics of being employed by a school system. And it's like, okay, where sometimes they don't overlap super great um but I I I wish I had put more time and effort into learning them and applying them in grad school or even before grad school when I knew social work was kind of the the area I wanted to go into because I feel like I've spent a lot of time after grad school really catching up on it um but yeah I mean they really are like, I keep them printed. I have them in a notebook there because that, I mean, I use them so much. Um, and even like, especially if I feel like I'm in a situation where people who don't work in social work, don't understand what I'm bound by. I just copy and paste them and send them on. Um, cause at the end of the day, I've worked really hard for the letters behind my name. Um, and I want to keep them. So We want you to keep them. You know, I tell, and as you're working towards clinical licensure, I know you're about to be on the other side of that, but there are three things I tell clinical social workers to have on their desk. The DSM, whatever version we're working in this year is the 5TR, right? The code of ethics, 
not just have it a digital copy, but you can get it from the NASW for $6 and or like you said, copy it and print it out. And then the pill book, especially now in Alabama. Yes, yes right? Yay. I have this little pocket one that mm -hmm. I keep and it, it I was fantastic. I have people ask to borrow it all the time. <laughs> yes, those are the three things I think every social worker should have. And to me, our code of ethics is our Bible, right? It is our Bible. I read a scripture out of it every day, you mm -hmm. know, and move past the principles and go into the standards and really dig deep into that. So I, I appreciate that you said that. Yes, that was not a textbook answer. That was an amazing <laughs> answer. What is something you would leave behind, Chelsea? Probably this idea that every social worker has to handle every situation the same way. I feel, especially in mental health care, our BCBA and I talk about this a lot. Like if you meet one person with depression or you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with depression or one person with autism. Um, and I feel like especially as fast paced as mental health is becoming, um, you know, like here we're experiencing, which I'm sure it's all over, but excruciatingly long wait lists to get into any kind of provider or doctor. So I feel like things are moving a lot faster in some areas. Um, and so therefore we're getting a lot of cookie cutter treatment plans or cookie cutter approaches to tackling somebody's presenting problem. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't know if this is necessarily a social work thing. I feel like maybe it's just kind of a mental health profession thing. I feel like we're kind of getting away from individualized care, which really kind of breaks my heart. Um, because every person is different. Every need is different. Every situation is different, which again, what's brought me to social work is because you do look at that person in an environment. You do look at their relationships between being in school, their relationships with their parents, their relationships at home, their relationships at work, and how do all those things work together? Um, so I, I would really love for us to move past this kind of cookie cutter treatment planning, um, just because I feel like that's unfortunately kind of becoming the norm. And I don't like it. So I'm, I'm trying to work really hard to get away from that. I love that answer. And, you know, I think one of the things I remember when I was in the community, the state would come in and if I was working for an agency that had cookie cutter treatment plans in our nose, we would get dinged on that. And so I hope that's still a thing, right? But then also as you move into your clinical licensure and you, you begin supervising, I hope that's one of the things on your, I have soapbox things that I discuss. Yeah. And one of my soapbox <laughs> things is obviously, you know, having the NASW code of ethics on your desk but also that social workers don't have to be broke. I hope that your soapbox thing is don't have cookie cutter treatment plans and case right. notes, right? So yeah, I think that we can, I think that is going to be an ongoing battle that we're always going to be fighting because of, you know, overwhelming caseloads and not enough time, not enough resources, um, but still, social workers, if not any other profession, see the person as an individual. And if right. we're the only ones writing individual notes like that, then let us be the only ones writing those individual notes. Yeah. I'm going to move on into our last question. And it's interesting. There's a couple of things that you've said. It's kind of been paradoxical. 
So, you know, you said social work can be isolating, but you also talked a lot about collaboration, right? And so I kind of want to dig into, because I think we are not a profession on this island unto ourselves, right? You talked about nurses and LMFTs and LPCs and also then being the only social worker in your agency. And so let's talk a little bit about as we end our our, our talk today about collaboration and what do you think the importance of collaborating is for our profession? I, I mean, I don't think we could effectively do our jobs without collaboration. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that it doesn't get messy sometimes. Um, but especially like in the role that I have now, I, because I do bring a different set of knowledge to the table than some of the other people at the, at the table, I have to be able sometimes to put things aside that maybe I personally as a social worker or as a mental health coordinator want to work on because I see this being an issue for them. Either it's an issue right now or it's going to be an issue down the road. So let's be proactive about it. Sometimes I have to take a step back and realize we are a school. There are other things that we have to take in, into consideration with that too. And sometimes what I feel like is the top need is not always going to be what everybody at the table feels like is the top need. Um, and so I've, it's helped me to learn different areas. Like I remember when I interviewed for this job, one of the questions was, what do you see or how do you see your role in an IEP team meeting? And for anybody out there that is not in school, I did not know what an IEP was. I did not know what an IEP stood for. Um, so I just said, well, <clears throat> something along the lines of I see myself as a team player and I'm there to listen and to collaborate and to help in any way that I can. And I remember walking out and I called my dad who worked in education and said, what is an IEP? I don't even know what this is. And um, I said, this was my answer. He said, that sounds like a fantastic answer. <laughs> um, but again, learn like there was such a sharp learning curve, but if I was not willing to collaborate and I was not willing to put aside my personal agenda for this student or this family or whatever, but also vice versa on the other end, if the teachers don't come to the table or the principals don't come to the table and also be willing to put their agendas aside and learn from us, um, we're not going to get anywhere. And so that's kind of been a cool thing, too, with this position of being able, um, especially with teachers who are in the trenches every day, you know, dealing with behavior or dealing with the stress of just being in the classroom. Um being able to kind of dial back and say, well, what you're seeing in the classroom is a manifestation of this. And then when you're able to kind of say that, they're like, oh, kind of have this light bulb moment. And then we can kind of get to that collaboration piece of how do we support this student? Um, but again, those conversations can't take place if all the people at the table are not willing to put aside, um, you know, their knowledge or their level of expertise and try to figure out a way to meet. Um, but I think that's true of any position in social work, not just being in the school, because even when I worked at the hospital, like there were times that doctors and I didn't agree, right? There would be times where I thought a patient needed to be admitted and the doctor didn't want to admit. And it was on me to decide, okay, can I lay my head down at night following my code of ethics and my morals and values and know that I've done everything I can. And sometimes it, I mean, it might get ugly, but at the end of the day, it was my job to advocate, um, 
and I've only had one doctor that came back and said I was wrong. You were right. Um, but normally it doesn't always go that way, but that's okay. Um, but a, a collaboration is a huge, huge piece of social work. And I think if you're not willing to collaborate, um, and just because you are collaborating doesn't mean you're wavering on boundaries and it doesn't mean that you're wavering on your code of ethics or your morals. Um, but that's what's so great about being on an interdisciplinary team because you have so many different areas of knowledge and areas of expertise that we can all learn from each other. Um, that's the whole reason we do CEUs. I mean, if we had all the knowledge and all the information, we'd have no reason to have to do continuing education. Um, so I think if you're not willing to collaborate, it's going to be a hard road um, in social work. And I think that is where it does become very lonely, very isolating. Such a great answer. And, you know, I just want to add, I think, too, because I'm seeing three, right? I'm seeing the social worker, the other profession, the other colleagues within, within other professions, and then the client also collaborating with the client because it is the client's. Mm -hmm. treatment plan in our life right. and they are the expert of their life and so you know we think sometimes we are the experts but really the client is the expert of their own life including right. our 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 school-based children and adolescents who I think are so lucky to have you on their team uh -huh. on their team Thanks. and even if you didn't know what that is it IEP <laughs> an IEP yeah yeah <laughs> I love yeah I so love that you still got the job and these, I know yeah, <laughs> here this they're gonna be like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. I love that. I just I heard team. I, I'm a team player. I don't care yes. what it means, but I'm a team yes. player. <laughs> All right, Chelsea. It was so good to have you on the yeah. show today. And um, my cup. yes, my cup. oh my goodness, I love that I had the opportunity to reconnect with you. Yeah. And um, I, you know, I said to you before we started. My social work babies are having social babies. <laughs> <laughs> so I absolutely yeah. love, I love that uh, we were able to reconnect. I really do. And hopefully you'll come back on again next year. I'd love to. Good. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Goddesses of Social Work podcast. We are glad you were here. If you liked this episode, please come back to hear more stories of the journeys through social work and please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. See you next time here on the Goddesses of Social Work podcast.